Welcome to the Explaining Albania podcast with me, Alice Taylor. So when I started this podcast a whole episode ago, I had the idea to create something that would be a light-hearted look at Albania, something that would talk about culture and travel and sort of all the nice things that there are to see and do here. But I also think there is a place in this podcast to talk about things that are a little bit more serious. And there's an issue that's come come to my attention over the last couple of weeks that has been stuck in my mind. And it's something that's really affected me sort of professionally and on a personal level. And for that reason, I thought I should use this platform to discuss this, to discuss this topic, which no one likes to talk about, no one likes to accept, and people sort of shy away from as soon as it's brought up. Now, the topic for today's podcast is that of suicide. You see, even me saying it just then, I feel this sort of, I feel uncomfortable just talking about it in a public way as as if it's no big deal, you know? And I'm sure you listening maybe felt a certain pang of uncomfortableness as well. It's something that society tends to ignore. It has a lot of shame attached to it. There's a lot of stigma. And people who suffer from depression to the point where they want to take their own lives or they do take their own lives ultimately have people saying oh they're selfish Um, they were overreacting you know what a stupid thing to do there's very little understanding of what drives people now the reason that I'm talking about this in the context of Albania is over the course of maybe the last two months I've noticed um, a big spike in the number of reported suicide cases in Albania Now, as a part of my work as a journalist, it's my job to report on these and to sort of bring them to the attention of the general public. Uh, There's very little in the way of reliable data year on year on the number of suicides in Albania. But what I can see from what, what statistics there are and the mental health professionals I've spoken to is that we are seeing an increase. Um, And this has made me really, really concerned. You know, um, I think there was one point in August there were six suicides in 48 hours. I mean, it's a huge number. Um, We've also had two patients in one of the coronavirus hospitals in Tirana that have actually jumped from one of the higher floors and ended their lives. There was also another attempted murder as well, but thankfully the hospital staff were able to stop them. Now, with a couple of exceptions, most of these suicides have occurred with people over a certain age, sort of 50, 60 plus. And I'm wondering whether the coronavirus pandemic is having some impact on the the increase in the number of cases we've seen. Um, It's been raised as an issue internationally within the medical community and specifically within the mental health community that the impact of coronavirus will have... Um, we can expect to see an increase in the amount of suicides that happen. This comes in a number of different ways. It comes from fear, um, being isolated, being isolated from colleagues, family, friends, etc. during lockdown periods. Um, It also comes from economic uncertainty, poverty and various other socio-economic fallouts sort of from from the pandemic. And I just wanted to delve a bit deeper into this topic because I don't think that people are really asking the question, why is this happening? 
you know, we're reporting it in the media, we're reading about it, we're saying, oh, this is so bad, it's very sad, those poor people. Um, But no one's asking why. And I think until we ask why people are doing it, I don't think we can begin to really look at preventing it or stopping it. Um, I'm not saying my podcast is going to stop people from killing themselves, but I think that the more people that have conversations about this difficult topic, the more people that raise awareness um, and are aware that it's an issue within their community, perhaps they will reach out to people, reach out to elderly people who are living on their own, reach out to friends and family and be more receptive to people when they say, I'm suffering or I'm depressed or I, you know, I need help. Because I think there's a problem, not just in Albania, but internationally as well. When people reach a certain point, you know, rock bottom, and the few that do reach out, not many of them get the support they need. Um, When you're depressed, people can tell you, oh, you're overreacting, or cheer up, or don't take it so seriously. And then, of course, there's the stigma that if someone kills themselves, it's an ultimately selfish act, and they're a bad person. So I think that stops a lot of people from looking for help in the right places, be it with friends, be it with family, or be it with a medical professional. Um, You have the added stigma in Albania where it's seen as a massive sign of weakness. I mean, it is elsewhere as well, but here it's really something people do not talk about. So I hope that through this podcast, we can perhaps start a small conversation about the issue. Um, And I hope, you know, maybe someone that's listening to this one day, it might give them a little bit of information or a little bit of hope if they're in a certain situation where they're feeling hopeless. So I'm going to be speaking to two guests today, uh, Romida Shkoza, who is an Albanian-American. Um, she's living in North Carolina in the US at the moment, but she was born in Albania and she spent the first years of her life here. Um, she's going to be talking to me about her actual attempt at suicide. Um, As well as that, she will be discussing the history of mental health in her family and the suicide of her grandfather. So it's going to be really interesting to have a brutally honest account of the thought processes that someone goes through before they take their own life. And also how you can recover from that, how you can bring yourself back. Then I will be talking to Denise Andreka, who is a clinical psychologist and has experience dealing with people who are depressed, have anxiety post-traumatic stress um, and who are suicidal or who have had attempts to take their own life. She does work on a pro bono basis as well with people who are unable to afford medical treatment and psychological treatment, uh, which I think is fantastic because that's another obstacle that faces people here. So I'm going to be speaking to someone about their personal experience in the Albanian context and someone who's working directly with people who are suffering and who have tried to take their own lives before. So without further ado, let's speak to our first guest. Okay, Ramida, thank you for firstly having the um, the strength to talk about this very difficult topic and a topic that is very much stigmatized both in America and in Albania. Um, and I wondered if you could just introduce yourself and talk a bit about your experience, your first-hand experience with suicide. 
Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be part of this. Uh, my name is Ramita Shkoza, and I was born in Albania, Shkoda, Albania, and I've been living in the United States since 1992, so far it's been almost 30 years. Um, that, so I was, uh, I was introduced to suicide really at a very early age. Um, my mm-hmm. mother's father, my grandfather, uh, he killed himself when I was five years old. Uh, wow. he, he suffered tremendously. He had been imprisoned. Um, mm-hmm. in one of the harshest prison uh, prisons in Albania in the south and uh, my grandfather was before he went to prison he was an artist he was an actor he mm-hmm. was uh, he worked in the hospital he was a father of five he was a very lively person and mm-hmm. when he came home when he got out I was five years old and he was 59 years old but he looked like he was way well in his 80 he was a broken mm-hmm. man and at that very young age, I understood what's, you know, like had this like relationship with sadness. Like he looked at me with so much happiness, but yet when he interacted with the adults, I could tell that there was a difference. Um, and yeah. my grandfather used to come and kiss us goodnight every night before mm-hmm. uh, we would go to bed. And he would do his rounds and he would uh, visit uh, his children. And because by now all his children were adults and um, mm-hmm. three of them were married and had children of their own. And um, so he came one night and the next morning um, he was gone. He had uh, killed himself. He had jumped off the bridge and um, my mother had to, um, my mother and her siblings had to um, identify his body. And I remember at his funeral, um, so here I am, five years old. He just got out three months before. So he had been, uh, he had only uh, survived three months before he couldn't deal with mm-hmm. reality anymore and it was very right. shocking to him so much had changed and and yes. so much had you know transpired you know his kids were you know young kids my age the youngest was probably seven years old when he went to jail prison and mm-hmm. now he's a grandfather he's lost so much so anyway we right. were in we were doing his funeral in my great-grandmother's courtyard. I remember, and all these women were crying, and the men were sitting in the back, smoking their cigarettes, and it was heavy. It was hot. It was heavy energy, and it was hot at the end of August. And so there was, like, this fog, right, between grief and smoke of cigarettes and heat. Mm-hmm. It was like a soup. And I was, uh, my mother had kneeled in front of his body and had taken me with her, and I actually have a photograph of that. And says to me kiss your grandfather goodbye and it was the most scariest moment in my life because the day you know like a few days before he was alive you know was sitting on his lap he was full of life and his face was bruised and he looked so sad he looked frozen like a little boy frozen in fear Mm -hmm. and I was like, this is not my grandfather, you know? This is not the person. I was so scared to kiss him. How do you kiss a de- dead person, first of all? That's a lot for a five-year-old to have to sort of process <laughs> in the moment, you know? Yes, exactly. And I kept asking, what happened? You know, what happened to him? And, um, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't really want to talk about suicide. We're also Catholic, you know? And mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of... Um, shame and there's a lot of judgment around suicide and being Mm -hmm. uh, of a religious family especially being catholic 
And so uh, they kept telling me that he was guilt, that the communists killed him, you know, just some answer just to kind of like, you know, and of course, there was a lot of those things happening. Uh, There was a lot of paranoia and people were being snitched off and people Mm -hmm. were snitching on each other. And but I I never fully believed that somebody had killed him because Mm -hmm. of how he interacted with adults. So as I got older, I learned that my grandfather did kill himself. And he couldn't really handle the reality of um, of life, and that really affected my mother. That level mm-hmm. of trauma that he experienced—it's almost like it it traveled to my mother. And so, yes, I, uh, actually, my mother is a schizophrenic. She suffers from schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's been really hard to deal with, uh, you know, being raised by a parent with mental. Uh, issues and and mm-hmm. e- and especially you know it's so interesting because of course Albania has a major taboo around mental illness right it's we don't talk about it we make fun of it it's stigmatized mm-hmm. you're looked it as weak. weak yes mm-hmm. it's a sign of weakness and there's nothing and I'm gonna say this many times there's nothing weak about being depressed no. there's nothing weak about being suicidal it is it really raptures you. It's almost like having a uh, snake around your neck and mm-hmm. all over your body. And it's literally construct construct um, your psyche, your, your spirit. You can't breathe, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it's literally like, it's almost like drowning, that feeling like I can't breathe. There's no escape from it. It's all consuming. It's extremely consuming. And, it's, and especially when you have society to tell you that you're a weak, you're weak, and that you're making it up, and that it's the devil or whatever these things. Um, you should be ashamed. And... Oh, and especially if you're a woman, because the interesting thing is, when a man is uh, feeling depressed or is going through this, it's almost like they get praise. You know, oh, he's had a hard life. He's been such a good father. He's been such a good son. Oh, my poor this, my poor that. But when a woman goes through that, oh, she's <laughs> crazy she's lost her mind you know so there's mm. this psychotic she's yeah looking for attention she's unhinged she's exactly exactly hysterical oh my god yes you know like she wants too much so much attention she's just not happy and all that and which is total bollocks as you brits say yes <laughs> yes <laughs> because you can't help who what your reality is you know so yeah. uh, so being raised with so much pain and trauma and being a refugee myself i mean we experienced mm-hmm. a lot of trauma leaving albania you know mm-hmm. like there's a lot of romanticizing of oh you went to america you must do you you have no idea the the traumatic wounds that we have experienced mm-hmm. to, to live here to be here you know like i almost drowned escaping albania in 91 going to italy i almost lost my life that caused mm-hmm. a lot of trauma, you know. Um, of course. So, like, being raised around that, having that, you know, knowing that my grandfather killed himself, it, it kind of created this uh, interesting um, relationship with my own suffering, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, so is this a way to deal with stress? You know, is this a way to mm-hmm. deal with, um, you know, pain? And seeing my mm-hmm. mother's uh, cycles. And when I try to commit my mother and my family, actually was very very judgmental how dare do i do this to my mom put her in a mental institution and it was like mm-hmm. either life or death for her you know it was yes, life or yes. death for my younger brother we were mm-hmm. and my parents got divorced when we came to the united states so 
our whole family was really broken, you know, and we had no support. So how do you deal with stress? How do you deal with that much um, suffering? And so that was the first mm-hmm. step. And I had to be the first in my family to really use um, therapists and psychologists to get help and healing in yes. the midst of the shame that you experience from your friend, from your family on top of that. And so I had to shut that off. I had to cut it off and really mm-hmm. get my mother the help she needs because even to this day, a lot of family members don't understand that she's really ill. And it's not that she's doing it intentionally. It's that her mind is not the same, doesn't work the same way as yes. ours. And this is the same this is the same for things like um, depression and anxiety as well. I had a conversation with someone the other day who said, oh, famous people talking about having depression is ridiculous. What have they got to be depressed about? Mm. And I'm like, well, the term depression can be misleading by itself because it's not, yes, of course, depression can be triggered by certain traumatic events or life situations, but it can also happen to someone who has the most perfect life on paper. It's, it's something in your brain something you know something's off kilter off balance and it doesn't matter how good the hand you've been dealt is anyone can suffer from it be them a millionaire or about a person on the street exactly i mean wealth has nothing to do although no health of your mental state it's you're right it's it's chemical it's uh genetic Mm -hmm. it's the environment you could be a millionaire and feel like you can't get out of bed because you have yes you can have all kinds of uh stresses or issues that you're dealing with responsibilities that maybe you don't you know other people don't understand you know because when you're rich you Mm -hmm. do also have a lot of responsibilities but aside from that it's why do we have this relationship with our, you know, the mental health, you know, in any society, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, in America, you, it's, you have the more support, you know, you're, it's not as stigmatized, right? But even so, there's some judgments, uh, subtle judgments around, mm-hmm. oh, she's just needing attention, or there is still yeah. that vocalization of the judgment, and honestly, you have to be so brave to go get help, to literally say, I'm going to save myself. I want to live. Mm-hmm. I, life is worth living. And I'm going to do everything that I can. And in fact, that was where uh, I had to make that choice for myself. You know, seeing so much um, pain and suffering, I really had a difficult uh, year. 2010 was probably one of the hardest years as an adult. And everything mm-hmm. just came crushing. Everything. Like, all this trauma had been like compacted on top of each other and it's just like a pressure cooker right you when you cook in this thing and you close mm-hmm. it and you want it and literally just exploded the top exploded and i could not handle it and so i was uh, very suicidal i was um i was also struggling with my own identity and who i was mm-hmm. as an albanian as an american as a woman you know my gender identity i mean sorry my um sexuality and mm-hmm. And I just, I wanted to end it, you know, and it wasn't yeah. that I wasn't thinking about my family. I wasn't, you know, I knew that it would, and that was the biggest, that's the biggest hurt actually when people don't understand about suicide. It's our biggest pain is around, we know it's going to hurt the people around us. Mm-hmm. We know it's going to break our, whoever's heart, but we cannot live another minute in this like horrendous pain. It's literally being tortured. You know, yes. so how do you deal with torture? When people are tortured, they want to die, right? Because it's like they want to get out of that. But the same thing when somebody's dealing with suicidal ideation is like, and I'm not saying it's okay, 
but I'm also mm-hmm. trying to under, you know give people the the understanding you know the vi- the visuals that it's literally very painful you know it's not selfish yes. I have compassion for people that are in that much pain and I'm not saying suicide is the answer it never is no 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 it never is life is worth living and it's beautiful but when you're in that position it's really hard so I I, I think it's I, important to notice as well that people who often i know from friends of mine who have tried to commit suicide mm-hmm. um that they believe that their suffering and their obviously often their view of themselves is so negative they believe that they are a burden on the people around them they think their problems is a burden they think that they are a bad person or a failure and that quite often the family while yes they will be upset will be better off without them and this is something quite common mm-hmm. that i've heard from people and um who who i know who've taken their own lives is that they think it's the lesser of two evils which obviously is wrong right. but again it shows that it's not people don't think it's a selfish act they genuinely are so down and hurting so much they think that the world their family will be better off without them right yeah you're basically trying to uh get rid of yourself get you know take it out of that equation so your family will not mm-hmm. have to deal with you know you as a burden and you're right I, that's a, yeah. a big thing feeling like a burden and even for me you know i was my biggest burden was that i was going through a huge uh, awakening of my uh, sexuality of you know i did mm-hmm. i did the whole thing getting married in a church and then having these you know the struggle as as an albanian woman you know you don't yes. you know it's even though I'm in America here I am an American living in the land of free. right you still have the pressure on you oh my god it's the pressure of, of, mm-hmm. of being uh, the oldest daughter the only daughter so I that was a big reason for me to um, feel like a burden I was like my parents could not handle me being openly a uh, queer person in a mm-hmm. same-sex relationship so I'm just gonna kill myself you know and get this out of the way so mm-hmm. I don't bring shame to them that's the other thing you know I don't want my family to have shame you know and um, I remember it's funny because I go back to uh, you know that uh, vision with my grandfather uh, being dead and my mom asking me to kiss him and I'm actually writing about this in my memoir uh, I tried to so I so I took this bottle of pills and you know here I was like okay and it's after you do all that there's like a there's a sense of serenity that comes it's almost like the grace of god is is wrapping their arms around you and it's holding you because you are now you, you're going to transition essentially into another life mm-hmm. and i remember having this feeling of so much peace and then all of a sudden this like switch goes off and it says who's going to kiss you goodbye you know and it go and i rush right into the moment of kissing my dead grandfather who had killed himself for man and the amount of pain that my family suffered after that you know how much trauma it caused um and hurt and i was like i don't want to do that to my family i will find a way and so literally i'm i'm yeah. sticking my fingers in in my throat and everything is coming out mm-hmm. and by then the ambulance was there and i'd gone to the hospital for a week and got some really good amazing therapy and and uh mm-hmm. learned how to really deal with my suffering you know um uh, but it was mm-hmm. that pivotal moment honestly it's 
I want to change the conversation. I want to change the pattern of suffering in my family. I want to educate yes. my family about my pain. And so I came out to my parents, you know, mm-hmm. in different ways and different times and but also was able to make space for them because it wasn't like okay here I am and then you have to accept me blah 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 I didn't want to set up myself for more suffering and pain so it was really um specific in how I did it uh, and empowering for myself but I thought that my grandfather's suicide was an an incredible um uh, lesson for me it's how do I deal mm-hmm. with suffering you know that he was almost like he had to go through that so my generation and 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 future generations in our family don't have to do that you know because this is what it's going to look yeah. like this is what it's going to feel this is how much it's really going to hurt the family so yeah. do you think your family now have sort of more understanding of the these issues which have plagued you know these generations or is it still a bit of a learning process for them Uh I think it's a big learning process for them because they're still uh, very much uh in uh steeped deeply in the culture uh the Albanian culture mm-hmm. and um there's a lot of um uh, hesitation to share personal intimate things still of the, yes. the fear of being judged even in the United States even in America they've been here I mean <laughs> for decades and when they get together it's always like let me show off what I have what I drive what kind of how much money I make and never really really express the other side which is mm-hmm. I am suffering I need support I need somebody to talk to the Albanians in America and how mental health is still viewed as a um still judged uh, looked upon as um still a sign of weakness and uh, mm-hmm. you know I call it cultural regression that they still focus on how to impress each other more and then again I mean I might be over generalizing because I don't live in New York but I go there very often I do interact with um the community and it's been really um difficult at times because I want to talk about things and they don't want to talk yes. about anything you know even with mm-hmm. my family it's when I bring up for example escaping with my dad mm-hmm. and he's like why do you bring that up that was so long ago like mm-hmm. stop being attached to uh the experience that you've had and for me it's like it's not about being attached to it but it's part of our history and that history has shaped a lot of, of myself and my psyche yeah. <laughs> you know like yes of course like how can you how can you uh, say that is not um and you know having my uh experience with my mother i had to learn a lot about compassion and uh empathy and also understanding that not everybody will process suffering the same and yes it's going to be hard at times it has nothing to do with being Albanian American it's just being a human being and mm. and um you know mental health is very complicated it's very complex it's very unique to the person you know mm. it's um so you have to meet it with some form of curiosity you know like i'm curious about why you feel that way uh, interesting that you see it that way uh, you know that's not my experience but that doesn't mean your experience is wrong instead of going right into oh my god the devil is 
has taken over or nurse crazy or what you know what all I mean? the ecstasies yeah 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 seriously it's like call the shaman <laughs> so how are you doing now oh, you said it was 2010 um, how are you doing in 2020 i'm doing great uh i am uh doing really good i um uh, just to kind of wrap up what we were talking earlier I had an amazing therapist I took the steps and mm-hmm. he taught me a very good trick um, uh, and he said always make an appointment with your suffering because it will always it will never keep it up with you so whenever mm-hmm. I'm feeling some form of uh, down or feel really frustrated or whatever it is depressed I always make an appointment I say okay let's talk together at 5 p.m I have a lot of stuff to do <laughs> and by mm-hmm. then it really changes the chemistry of my brain and so I've learned some really good tricks but I'm doing good you know I'm I'm fully more of myself and uh, understanding my family's history has really been empowering uh, because I'm proud of who we are and what we are and I um, and also you know really um, not to like uh, what do you call it? Not to make my grandfather's uh, suicide a, a big deal or anything, but just I keep it as a, as a as a reminder that I don't need to go there ever. That's never an option. Yeah. There's always support. Mm-hmm. There's always love. And um, so now I feel like I have a really good foundation. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also married to a therapist. <laughs> well, that that helps, I'm sure. Although, I mean, my father, my father was a psychologist, and I used to hate it because I always felt like he was analysing me. Right. Well, she kind of does a little bit, but um, I mean, that's a topic for another podcast in itself. Yes, but yes, um, yes. it really. <laughs> um, now it's interesting. You've talked about the support that you had and that you found that you sought out, and you had a great therapist. Mm-hmm. The problem, the issue that we have in Albania is one, there are not enough anywhere. I think Albania has the lowest rate of psychologists per capita in Europe. Right. Um, accessing one is very difficult. There's the stigma around it. Um, there's the societal stigma. You know, people might not want to reach out to friends and family because of, as you've described, uh, it, it may not be received well. People may not know how to respond to someone saying, I need help. Can you listen to me, etc." So we've seen an increase in the amount of suicides in Albania in the last couple of months exacerbated, I assume, by the COVID pandemic, which is something that we expected and that people have said was going to happen sort of globally. We could expect to see more sure. of this happening. Um, it, it predominantly seems to be affecting the older generation. Now, mm-hmm. these people have probably been isolated from their right. families. They're maybe not as financially well off as because they're not working, etc. Mm-hmm. They may not have this level of access, the same access to a support network that you or I might have access to. Sure. Is there anything that you can say that someone can do within themselves without having to reach out to external support? If there's someone listening who maybe has found themselves in a situation where they think they could be suicidal, but they don't have the access mm-hmm. to external help, what could you advise them? Uh, one of the things that has helped me is to do a list of the things that are going for myself and not mm-hmm. focus on the things that are not going for myself. So mm-hmm. if there's if there's one person, if there's an animal, if it's something that brings you an ounce of joy, focus on mm-hmm. that. Do a gratitude list. I know this sounds cliche, but seriously, like 
spend a few minutes a day and just do do an inventory of the things that are working for you even like mm-hmm. the food that you're gonna eat the you're gonna take a shower whatever basic things there are you know do that inventory because it will really bring it back to yourself it will really mm-hmm. connect even in the most loneliness of time that it's now you know because albanians are very much about family and this is it's not surprising to me that the elderly are suffering because it has broken mm-hmm. that structure that's so for so long kept us together you know and and also you know uh, communism did a huge number on our psyche in terms of paranoia so even if you want to get mental health it's it's not just a sign of weakness but it was really you know the government basically trained us to be scared of each other not to trust yes. each other yeah, yeah so i so that's something to really uh you know be aware of and it doesn't surprise me that there's not enough mental health practitioners in albania but i would say mm-hmm. the gratitude list it's a good start it's a small start and try yes. to reach out um you know reminisce about those fun memories and it's mm-hmm. almost like you kind of like living reliving them in your mind which changes the chemistry of your body and gives you you know like brings you a smile it you know literally shifts that mood and is do that as much as possible mm-hmm. thank you very much Ramita Thank you. Um, I really appreciate you you going into detail on this. It's been fascinating to listen to. And thank you for your honesty and and the strength it takes to talk about such a personal and something which is still very much stigmatized but that shouldn't be. Denise, thank you for agreeing to take part in this podcast and for talking today about something which is quite a difficult and sensitive subject. I'm wondering if you could just introduce yourself for the audience and then explain a bit about um, your work and what you do in the context of helping people who maybe have suicidal thoughts or have tried to commit suicide at some point. Uh, hi, Alice. It's, um, it's a pleasure being with you today. Uh, I am a licensed clinical psychologist and a psychotherapist. Um, I have trainings in different therapeutic approaches such as cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, acceptance and commitment therapy, emotional focus therapy. And for the past 10 years, uh, I have been providing therapy for individuals, couples, adolescents and families. Um, I work with clients struggling with um, uh, depression, anxiety, Uh, low self-esteem, OCD, relationship issues, um, and uh, stress management. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been working with uh, victims of sexual abuse who have been um, exposed to traumatic events and mm-hmm. also experienced uh, several complex trauma. Uh, yes. So uh, suicidal thoughts were um, were found a lot among uh, these um, individuals. Mm-hmm. You've worked with people that have had suicidal thoughts or maybe tried to take their lives. 
And the reason I've done this podcast today is because we have seen in the media uh, what appears to be an increase in the number of suicides over the last couple of months, um, certainly more than in recent years. And they seem to be predominantly in the age group, sort of 55 plus. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, what do you think could be causing this apparent spike in cases? Um, uh, after uh, someone takes his life, um, the why is uh, what uh, everyone will ask. Mm-hmm. There are some risk factors um, that um, increase the risk of suicide, mm-hmm. and such uh, factors can be a family history of mental disorder um, mm-hmm. or suicide or abuse, uh, a certain medical condition that can be a chronic disease or terminal illness uh, that can be linked to depression or suicidal thinking, uh, or yes. history of suicide attempts in the past or underlying depression, untreated depression or PTSD or bipolar disorder or other psychiatric disorders, uh, certain feelings of helplessness of hope hopelessness and isolation also or uh, stressful events uh, that yes. can be any event from losing the job to losing a dear one uh, so yes. the earthquake and the lockdown and pandemics that we as Albanians went through uh, for the last year uh, were two major events that uh, affected in a way or in another any of us Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's say that it has been a tough year for, for Albanians, uh, yes. but especially for uh, the ages that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, it may be affecting them in a specific way by, um, we, we don't really have uh, studies in Albania regarding suicide or mm-hmm. there are few about mental health. Uh, yes. But what I know from my everyday practice with clients, uh, I know that people have been feeling more isolated. Yes. Uh, not meeting with their um, family members, uh, avoiding to meet grandparents and parents, I mean, young people mm-hmm. not meeting their parents and grandparents. Um, people are going through financial crisis and uh, mm-hmm. some of them lost their loved ones. Yes. Uh, and there is a general sense of um, insecurity and mm-hmm. predictability. So and fear as well, I think. Fear. People, I mean, from people I know, you know, people are scared to contract the disease. They're scared to be around a group of people. They're scared what's going to happen in the next few weeks. And I think something which is very unique about this sort of current pandemic is the fact that there is no real end in sight. You can't say, okay, well, things are going to get back to normal in one week, one month, one year, because nobody really knows whether it's going to be something we have to live with for the rest of our lives or whether a vaccine will cure everything. Exactly. So people don't know how their body, their immune system is going to react if they uh, are infected by the virus and then uh, they don't know when this is going to end so they don't know how long this isolation this distance thing is going to last and they have to live with insecurity mm-hmm. and to tolerate insecurity in fact this is a way to to better uh, face and uh, deal with what is happening even though it's very difficult <laughs>
because you have to live with the fact that you don't know when this is going to end mm-hmm. and uh, how this is going to be in the future yes. or in a month from now or a year from now. Yeah, it's a very difficult situation and there's been a couple of incidents where people have killed themselves and I think there was one attempt as well actually within one, one of the hospitals. Um, you know, I know that obviously the feeling of isolation must be quite tough there and you know not being able to have contact with family and visitors and also I think you have to consider that if you're in a coronavirus ward you're probably witnessing people dying, people being intubated, people being you know suffering a lot. Um, do you think these are some of the reasons perhaps why we've seen this phenomena of people taking their lives in the hospital? Um, as I mentioned before, the risk factors uh, that may be there previously may affect the way people deal with uh, with issues they face and uh, with problems they face now. So, if they get infected by the virus, they may be they, they bring with them all the history mm-hmm. that uh, they have had before the virus, before the infection. So. Um, we know that all those people's routine, daily routine has have changed now and the care that they they receive and the support that they receive have been very limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though someone may have suicidal thoughts, uh, it looks like there are no um, people, there is no support system for them so they could talk to or um, or, or, or express uh, what, I, what they are going through. Um, so uh, it's uh, difficult for people mm-hmm. uh, in the hospitals to stay connected yes. with uh, the support system. Mm-hmm. And then I also see uh, the way they perceive the virus and they perceive uh, the illness mm-hmm. is also very important. Uh, the media has been showing us cases that, um, especially when they are in the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, the recovery is very difficult mm-hmm. and sometimes um, they have been like uh, people have, have lost their lives so they didn't come alive from the hospital yes. and this in um, maybe affecting the way uh, old people perceive the hospital yes. and the care they take there I, I know someone who is in this sort of age age group that we're talking about who contracted the virus and refused flat out to go to hospital because mm-hmm. she said, if I go in, I'll never come out again. And she was serious. She mm-hmm. said, I would rather stay at home and take my chances for the therapy they can give me at home than risk going into that hospital. Because like you said, she has this, this idea, this perception that uh, things in there are not so good and, and she probably wouldn't come out again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've, I've heard, in fact, many people yes. having this, uh, this, uh, this idea about uh, getting treatment. Mm-hmm. And... And also, uh, I think the information they get there may be overwhelming yes. and uh, some people that have this risk factor that we mentioned may find it very difficult to uh, to process uh, the information they get in the hospital mm-hmm. and without support then um, they may see suicide as, um, as uh, a solution. A solution to, to um, do you a solution for people. Do you think as well that the older generation are less likely to reach out and ask for help if they're suffering from mental um, health issues than the younger generation? Um, uh, for also, we don't have uh, studies, mm-hmm. so I can't 
I can't give you uh, something that will be like uh, I, uh, um, it for the whole yes. uh, for for. All, uh, but I can say that in my private practice, mm-hmm. uh, very few clients are of this age group, mm-hmm. uh, and seen also uh, younger age who mm-hmm. um, uh, who tries to not tell their parents or who yes. the fact that they're going to therapy or they're taking uh-huh. from their parents so um, culturally from what I've seen in my private practice uh, parents uh, have uh, this um, uh, it find it hard to to accept that um, their children need therapy and when they mm-hmm. have this idea for their children uh, it's unlikely for them to get help for themselves and to reach out if they are going through uh, through a difficult period mm-hmm. um, I mean if someone is having these thoughts if they're feeling isolated and um, very depressed and hopeless and they're not able or perhaps they're too scared to reach out and seek professional help what what would you say to them how is there something they can do to to help their situation um yes there are uh i in fact i want everyone to know that uh, uh suicidal feelings and ideas may be temporary Mm-hmm. But with the treatment and support, uh, the risk can be reduced. Yes. So if they reach out, if they can't reach out professionals, mm-hmm. but they talk to people around them, mm-hmm. and I know how difficult it is to talk about these ideas, yes. but I want uh, everyone to keep in mind that it's very important to talk about these ideas as it is when we have a physical complaint and we do, do talk to people around yes. us that I'm having um, this issue with my leg or with my, uh, I don't know, physical yes. pain. So very important that when you you see that you're, you're, you're having suicidal thoughts to talk to people around mm-hmm. you, even though they're not professionals. Um, and after that, maybe reaching out to professionals is the next step. And... Uh, people around need to be there to help the person uh, to get the the right treatment. And I think it's important to mention at this point as well that there's no shame in suffering from any kind of mental condition um, or mental issue or or passing through a difficult time mentally. Like you said, if you have a physical complaint of any kind, you would seek treatment for it. Um, You would get medicine, you might visit your doctor or take it easy, you know. And there really should be no difference for, for mental health. And there's certainly nothing to be ashamed about when it comes to dealing with difficult emotions. And as you quite rightly pointed out, it has been a very difficult year for people in Albania. You know, we're, we're suffering a collective trauma um, from both experiencing the earthquake and then witnessing the aftermath of it and seeing pictures on television of collapsed buildings and people being pulled out of the rubble, living with the fear it could happen again and then being plunged into a global epidemic where pandemic where no one knows when the end's in sight. You know, it's, it's quite a burden for us to carry collectively, let alone if you're older, living on your own or in an isolated um, in an isolated way, you know, you're financially suffering and you are too ashamed to speak out. 
It's a very concerning time. Uh, it was a great summary, at least. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, in fact, um, if uh, uh, mental disorders and uh, emotional and psychological suffering was treated in the same way we treat physical health, mm-hmm. uh, it uh, I think uh, things would have been differently, yes. uh, addressed differently, and then treated differently. Yes. Uh, so yes, there is no shame to ask for help, and uh, also people uh, need to know that uh, there is uh, confidentiality when it comes to professionals um, who work in mental health uh, system. So uh, talking to people around you and then going to the professional uh, is a way of um, uh, treating uh, the suffering and what you're going through. And this means that you can share the the information with other people that you're going to therapy or if you don't want to, uh, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, The professionals are confidential and um, uh, professional when it comes to uh, keeping confidentiality and ethical issues so just one last question um there is i mean we talked about financial and economic sort of issues what about people who maybe can't afford to go and see a therapist what options do they have what should they do in order to to find the help they need uh, everyone can reach out mental health uh, services through the family doctor mm-hmm. so uh, if you go to the family doctor and ask for a recommendation mm-hmm. they will give you a go and see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Okay. It depends on the case. Yes. So one can uh, can have these uh, services free of charge. Great. And then there are some uh, also, um, uh, we don't have a mental, um, suicide preventive, preventive uh, helpline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, people that want to reach or talk to the phone, they can do that in Albania. But there are some um, some uh, services that are free mm-hmm. uh, for um, women, abused women. So there are some lines that offer counseling, online counseling, mm-hmm. uh, that are not focused on suicide, but it can be helpful if you talk to someone. Mm-hmm. And then uh, maybe this is the first step to talk about this idea yes. and then reach out for more. So there is this um, line for women uh, that uh, maybe I can give you the contacts yeah. and um, we can put them somewhere yes. so people can reach yes, out. Yes, that would be great. Uh, there is a, an online services for young people, www.nukievetampikalder, mm-hmm. uh, www. mm-hmm. and other services that young people or women or men can reach out and talk to a professional counselor. Great. Thank you very much for that. If you can provide me with those those addresses, then I will make sure they're accessible um, in the text of the podcast as well. So anyone listening can, can use them, can use those services if they need to, or pass them on to somebody they think might benefit. Thank you very much for your time, Denisa. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks for listening to Exit News' Explaining Albania podcast. You can follow us on Spotify and Anchor and normal social media platforms to stay up to date with our latest episodes.